0: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker.
1: Our flavor palette definitely has something to do with the soil that we're growing in. We're actually considered like the North Pole of chocolate because you can only grow chocolate really within the first, like, 16 degrees of the equator and we're like on the 19th 20th degree
2: hello and welcome to episode 92 of the farm traveler podcast i'm your host trevor williams and today on the show this was totally unintentional but it worked out perfectly just in time for valentine's day we are going to talk about chocolate specifically we're going to talk about hawaiian chocolate from a farm called lava loha and today we're talking with their farm manager, Deus Bencomo. So you just heard from him earlier. Deus is going to tell us all about Hawaiian chocolate, specifically Lavaloha, what they're doing on their farm, and how they are single origin chocolate, and what exactly that means. So Deus is going to tell us that their chocolate farm actually grows on the side of a volcano in Hawaii, and how that kind of plays a role in the very unique flavor profiles of this chocolate. He'll tell us about the whole chocolate production process, how they how they harvest the cocoa beans and all that good stuff. Also, some health benefits from chocolate, which we all we always forget about the great benefits of chocolate, um, because you know, usually it's in Hershey bars, and that's usually not the greatest thing in the world for you. But dark chocolate is full of um, great nutrients and vitamins for you. COVID's still a thing, obviously. But Deus and the team at Lava Loja have been doing a great job with their farm tours, and he'll tell us all about that, what they're doing, how they're trying to stay safe, while also helping tourists learn a thing or two about Hawaiian chocolate and Hawaiian agriculture. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I can't believe it took us 92 episodes to actually start to talk about chocolate. So I'm super excited. I hope you enjoy this episode. Again, this is episode 92 with Deus Bencomo from Lava Loja in Hawaii. Thanks so much for listening, and on with the show. All right. Deus Bencomo, welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. How are you doing, man? Pretty good.
1: Not too bad. It's nice and rainy today.
2: Oh, I bet. Dude, I'm jealous. So you're in Hawaii. I've always wanted to go to Hawaii. Um, So we had to figure out a time difference. I think it's like a four-hour time difference there. So it's bright and early, 7.30 a.m. for you. 11 30 a.m. for me so i'm glad we got this um figured out but we haven't talked to any chocolate farmers at all so i'm i'm super excited to talk with you about your farm um tell us real quick a little background about yourself and how you got started so
1: i'm originally from new mexico um just south of albuquerque my family had a little bit of property that we grew corn alfalfa and hay wasn't too much involved in that process i was so young at the time But I bailed the hay, just did whatever I could at that age. Then I joined the military, came out to Hawaii for a full-time position that kind of fell through. And I moved to the big island, fell in love with it, got a job working at a zip line, maintaining it, rebuilding it, and then kind of fell out of love and moved over to the farm. And I've been loving it ever since. I've been here for a little bit over a year now.
2: That's awesome. So... Yeah, I was checking out your website and the Instagram of Lavaloha, and it seems like there's kind of a rich history there with Hawaiian chocolate. So can you give us kind of a breakdown of kind of the history of the Lavaloha Farm and Hawaiian chocolate in general?
1: Yes. Yeah, so Lavaloha Farm was started out pretty recently in 2017 or 18, started out making their own chocolate, but it's been a chocolate farm since the early 2000s it was under the name of Mahilani Partners. So now they did some rebranding and they renamed it to Lava Aloha. And we've been producing our own chocolate from our own facility on the farm inside of our warehouse. So it's been pretty awesome. It's been a lot of learning opportunities up here.
2: (laughs) Oh, I can imagine. So I assume with the Lava aloha, I mean, that kind of plays into the whole lava thing of Hawaii about it forming and stuff like that. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, so we actually are on the slopes of Mauna Kea. It's one of the largest volcanoes and mountains in the world. It's actually taller than Mount Everest from the base to the summit, from underneath the water, the sea level, all the way up to the top where the observatories are. It's technically taller than Mount Everest.
2: Oh, wow. Okay.
1: Yeah, so we're actually, oh, sorry. We're actually on the slopes of that mountain in growing our cacao trees in volcanic soil.
2: Do you think that volcanic soil kind of gives the chocolate a little bit different of a taste?
1: Yeah, there's something called terroir. um, And I think our flavor palette definitely has something to do with the soil that we're growing in. We're actually considered like the North Pole of chocolate because you can only grow chocolate really within the first like 16 degrees of the equator. And we're like on the 19th, 20th degree.
2: Oh, wow. So you guys are really close then.
1: Yeah, so we're just on the cusp. Um, It seems to do pretty well up here. Um, I think the highest lot that we have on this farm is about 1,500 feet in elevation.
2: Okay. That's pretty sweet. So on on your website, you were saying that you guys have 100% single origin Hawaiian chocolate. So are those just a variety of cacao that was kind of found in Hawaii and it's what it has been kind of focused on? So what's the whole story behind that? So,
1: what we mean by single origin is that the chocolate, all three types the Forestera, um, the Criollo, and the Try. Ooh, I'm forgetting the name of it now. Tri- <laughs> I bet
2: there's a lot of different kinds.
1: Yeah, but the three different types that we grow up here, they were not found originally from here at all, came from Southern Central America. But for our single origin, it mainly means that we start our process directly from seed so we grow our own tree all the way up until we make our own bark our chocolate bark so everything we, the only additive, additive ingredients are the sugar and the milk powder that we use everything else is single origin from our farm
2: okay gotcha that makes a lot of sense so how exactly does chocolate production work i know um the beans are from cacao plants and they're like these really big pods that look You look at them and you're like, there's no way chocolate comes from that. But then I know you pick them, you roast them. So, what's the whole chocolate production like from growing the cacao plants until you have like actual chocolate?
1: Oh man, that's a good question. There's a lot of science that comes in with it. I just actually recently took over as a production manager for the farm as well as the farm manager. So, I'm now learning how to do all that. Basically, what you do is after you harvest your cacao pods, You're going to want to split them, and inside of the cacao pods is this fuzzy, pulpy, white, covered bean, and inside that bean, it's purple. You want to, after you split all your pods, you put them in a bin, keep them as hot as you can. You want to rotate them, mix them real good every couple of days till they reach like 110 to 120 degrees. Once they hit that max temperature, that means they're fully fermented, and you can take them out to dry. So you want that ferment. get real good you want that yeast to build up really nice once you get a good citric acid type smell um, and like at least 118 degrees temperature you can start laying it out to dry the drying period kind of takes a little bit longer I would say about two weeks two to three weeks depending on what our rain situation is like usually when we're harvesting cacao We're um, just getting into our rainy season. So sometimes the humidity sticks around for a while and it takes a couple of weeks for it to dry. But after we finish drying, we will either store the beans, let them age for a little bit, or if we're ready to get right on it, we'll roast them and roasting them, we just do it in a big tumbler roaster. It looks kind of like a washing machine or an old, old school drying machine. And it has flax inside, so it just rotates the beans nice and evenly with propane. And pretty much, depending on the humidity content of the bean, moisture content of the bean, we can get 30 pounds roasted in about 45 minutes. I usually roast about 60 pounds every time I do a roasting day. From roasting, we'll then go into a process where we have to get the small shell like the bark of the bean off and it's called a winnowing process so it's this big huge loud machine with a big vacuum tube that you scoop the beans into and it massages rolls and shakes the beans all around and it crushes up the inside of the bean and vacuums off the husk like the shell essentially so at the end you have what's called a nib and it's crushed up little cacao beans
2: they're super, okay. rich
1: super good yeah it,
2: it sounds like it yeah so A random question, is this process of roasting the cacao beans kind of similar to roasting um, coffee beans? Is it kind of similar to that?
1: Yeah, so instead of listening for the crack of a coffee bean, we're looking more so of the bitterness and the crumbliness of the cacao bean.
2: Okay, okay, gotcha. So, And, you know, I mean, like you were saying, the pods look very different, like chocolate wouldn't come from there. Do you know how it was kind of first discovered that somebody – I mean, just happened to do the exact perfect process where they took apart the cacao pod, they roasted the beans, and they're like, wait a minute, this thing, this chocolate is really sweet. Do you know kind of history behind that?
1: Yeah, I'm not too sure on the history behind it. I've heard a bunch of different things um, just throughout the couple years that I've been up here through our tour guides and everything. One of the theories that I've heard that I like to talk about is the Aztecs and Mayans, uh, Mesoamericans, essentially found these trees, opened them up and the pulp, you can eat the pulp and the nectar from the pod and it's super sweet, but I guess they didn't, they would spit the seeds out. They wouldn't eat the seeds and those, they made a small pile and I guess it fermented. They left it out in the sun and it baked and they realized it started smelling good. And so they tossed some in their mouths and said it tasted delicious or thought it
2: tasted delicious. And (laughs) that was the rudimentary form of chocolate for them. Well, there you go. That's awesome. So, what are the main differences between like dark chocolate, white chocolate and milk chocolate? I mean, I'm assuming you're adding different levels of milk in there to sweeten them or what or so what's the main difference there?
1: Yeah, so dark chocolate is pretty much the purest form of chocolate you can buy. So like there's there's different percentages like you'll see like 70% dark chocolate, or 85% dark chocolate. That means basically the content of cacao inside that chocolate is 70% and the other 30% is added ingredients. So it could be sugar. Um, Sometimes people use different forms of oils and fats instead of cacao butter, cocoa butter. Um, For white chocolate, this one's actually interesting because a lot of like really hardcore chocolate eaters, (laughs) kind of like wine connoisseurs, but for the chocolate world will say that white chocolate really isn't chocolate because it's basically just a whole butt ton of Cacao butter, cocoa butter, sugar, and milk powder. And that's really all it is. You just mix that up and you got white chocolate.
2: Oh, wow. You know, that kind of makes sense because it's so sweet. And I mean, I'm I'm a white chocolate fan, but I mean, that that's very interesting. I didn't know about that, but that does make a lot of sense as to, I mean, it's super duper sweet as opposed to a dark chocolate, which is a little bitter, but still also really good. Yeah, and then with the dark chocolates, that's how you actually get the
1: more flavor tone and palettes, or essences of like the areas that it's grown in throughout the world like our chocolate you can catch a little hint of banana maybe a little bit of mushrooms i'm not one to have tasted the mushroom yet but i've heard a couple people say it so far Hmm. i taste definitely like a fruity banana e flavor in our dark chocolates for sure oh that's interesting
2: okay so I know, I honestly don't know of anybody that doesn't like chocolate. I think it's one of those things that's like universally loved. And I mean, a lot of people don't know it. I mean, they just think of it as like a treat or a dessert, but there's a lot of like health benefits to chocolate. And I saw a lot of that on your website. So, I mean, in moderation, what are some of the good health benefits of eating chocolate?
1: Um, One good thing is the theobromine is a great um, supplement for caffeine. So the husks that we take off of in the winnowing process the husk of the bean that we take off when we make the nibs you can make it into a tea and that can supplement your coffee in the morning and it's got a little bit of caffeine still but not as much as the coffee would and the theobromine has a lot of antioxidants it's a natural energy booster it's just overall good for digestive health too also um cacao powder i forget if it was world war 1 or world war 2 but the chocolate industry just donated all the cacao powder, the chocolate powder, essentially canned it and sent it over to the troops. And just like the tea, it had a lot of theobromine. It has good super antioxidants and you can kind of do whatever you want with it. You can bake with it. You can make hot chocolate. You can do whatever you really (laughs) need to do with that stuff.
2: Oh, that's neat. Yeah. Uh, that's a good point you brought, you brought up. Um, I love learning about the history of products and stuff, especially when they tie in with like huge events like wars and stuff. And I think it was, I believe it was world war one or world war two when they developed M and M's and they were trying to send chocolate to troops, but it kept melting. And so they developed a candy coating to put around the chocolate to keep it from melting. And that's what M and M's are. And so they're like, Oh wait, the troops not only like this, but people back home will like it. And so boom, that's how M and M's were formed.
1: That's pretty cool. I never knew that.
2: Yeah, the more the more you know.
1: <laughs> right? So,
2: yeah, I was checking out your website, and you guys also do um, tree to chocolate tours, which is really cool. And I know agritourism is huge, and I mean, it just helps people learn basically where their food comes from. So, I mean, what have those tours been like? I mean, have have consumers have gone on those tours and learned a lot about chocolate? So, what all do you cover on those tree to chocolate tours?
1: So, yeah, first off, the tours have been awesome. They've been running for about two and a half years now, and they just picked up steam, man. Um, during the first initial parts, a couple months of the pandemic, we were shut down to the public. We were just producing chocolate and selling it regularly. And then once tourism kind of opened back up, we started doing our due diligence on how we can do a safe tour and operate to capacity according to CDC regulation and Department of Health, the State Department of Health. So now we're doing just single family tours and man, it's, we're busier than we were before coronavirus pandemic hit. It's crazy.
2: Oh, that's cool. I bet people just want to get out now and they're like, oh, hey, let's go on a chocolate tour and see what's going on.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Um, But as far as what we, the content of our tours, we kind of start at our little farmhouse up here. It's where we have our shop, our main shop where we sell a lot of our chocolate. They get to meet the guide. We have one of six guides that'll bring them out um we got these cool little golf cart looking buses they look like they're gas powered extended golf carts essentially they they can fit either six to 12 people depending on which tour bus you want to take it's not fully enclosed but there's a windshield and like some shade covering so you don't have to get wet with the rain we mm. so get picked up here and then you go down the hill and all on the left side of you while you're driving down our hill is all m- infancy stages all the way up to like adolescent and some adult cacao trees probably about three to four hundred cacao trees all to your left as you're driving down they'll kind of talk about the history of our soil the Kea that i mentioned earlier how it's the tallest mountain the volcanic soil how what we do to mitigate some of our pests out here um, our windbreakers we use bamboo as a windbreaker. and then on the right side of us we have a couple canoe plant couple canoe plants that you know the ancient polynesians brought over with them to hawaii when they were traveling in their notes canoes and their outriggers so like the ulu breadfruit bananas bamboo so they kind of talk about that so the left and the right is pretty diverse in the sense that you got central america on one side and then polynesian america on the other side
2: oh wow that's neat i like that
1: um yeah and then as you go down you kind of Here's the history of our farm a little bit, how we started up, um, how we started buying up the land and trying to cultivate it into something great and make like a community up here. Then we get to an area where we actually dry our beans and split our pods. We have this huge machine that the rest of the Hawaii island is jealous of because we're the only one with the machine that automatically splits the pods and separates (laughs) the seeds out
2: for us. That's cool. Good on you guys for having that. I mean, that's cool. It makes them jealous. Yeah. So we get to show the guests that we,
1: usually we don't run it every Tuesday. Every other Tuesday, we'll run it. And if a tour is booked that day, then they get the luck of the draw and they get to see it. Oh, wow. That's um, neat. Okay. Yeah. It's pretty cool. It's a little bit loud because we're off grid. So that has to be ran by a generator. It's 240 volt. So it's definitely uh... a little bit loud.
2: Gotcha. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, that's cool. And that's awesome that um, I mean, post COVID, uh, it's kind of exploded that you guys are having a lot of people kind of go in there and wanting to see because I mean, they're wanting to get out, do something. And this is not only something that gets them outside. But, I mean, it's something educational. Um, So I mean, how exactly you kind of mentioned it earlier, but how did COVID impact you guys? I mean, was there still demand in chocolate? Were you still going through production? Or did you have any lull periods? So how did COVID impact you guys?
1: Yeah, the first, um, you know, I was actually activated with the National Guard for the first couple of months. So I was gone from March to first week of June, or like the end of February to the first week of June. Um, I wasn't able to see too much of the data analytics of how it affected us in those first couple months. When I came back, um, we did decide to kind of shut down, we we're going to revamp our production facility, we we're going to, you know, try and upgrade a lot of our equipment during this lull try and train up some other folks on how to make chocolate and what to do. Um, cause right now we actually only have one chocolate maker and other than myself, and I'm still learning, I'm not definitely not a chocolate maker yet, <laughs> but so we took that time to really reevaluate our production facility and give it a real good polish and massage and clean it all up. And now we're able to, we've doubled our production per week. So essentially tripled it within each quarter. It's pretty nice. So that oh, wow. us not like
0: it. yeah.
1: yeah. That's um, pretty good. The, the sales did actually dip. I know that June to July and August it was pretty low. I'm not too sure what the exact numbers are, but we did try some stuff out. We tried going down to the farmer's market and sell some edible plants and herbs and spices. Um, it, kind of gained some traction uh we just didn't really have the time or the resources available to just continuously go down to the farmer's market so we moved all the plant sales up here and it's been doing pretty well now if you come for a visit you get to take home a free plant
2: (laughs) hey there you go that's cool you can't breed uh you can't beat a free plant i love plants that's awesome that's cool so would you guys would you consider y'all organic or conventional um, last season, we tried to do a deep dive, kind of explaining the key differences there. So what are you guys, organic, conventional, or maybe a little bit of both?
1: When I first started, we were definitely pushing to try and be organic. It's definitely super hard. I don't think the consumers really understand what it's like to get that type of cert- certification. It could be a couple of years before we could even put the label on our packages if we were to go that route. Um, but we do a mixture of both i'd say we definitely try and stick as close to the organic side as we can we have um kind of like these plastic cages around our trees to mitigate some of the pests out here so we don't have to spray any type of organic chemical um we used to use mulch and chickens to kind of get rid of them the chickens kind of moved away out of the lots and into the lower parts of the farm. Um, so, yeah, we try and do a little bit of both. I like to stick more towards the organic side. It makes me feel a little bit better. Um, I know it makes a lot of folks out here that come to visit Hawaii feel better. They, they're they like, oh, these guys are doing great things. They're conserving the land. They're not damaging it with any type of harmful chemical. Um, what I try and tell people is that no matter what, whether it's organic or conventional, when you spray something, anything at all, Even if it's neem oil, you're affecting the chemistry of the soil. So no matter what, you're always going to have some type of effect on the soil, whether you're spraying organic or non-organic compounds.
2: Yeah, that's a really good point. And I've learned just by interviewing people that a lot more focus the past couple of decades, I guess, is really going into the soil. And so instead of just spraying and adding fertilizers and, and other chemicals, um, farmers are starting to pay more attention to the soil and make sure the soil health is there because if the soil's good, good, um, your plants are going to grow. And so you're kind of reducing the inputs you have to add if you're making sure the soil is up to snuff. And um, but that's good. That's good. That's good for you guys. And I mean, Hawaii just seems so beautiful. It's I bet more people there, tourists and locals alike are much more, I guess, aware and want to uh, kind of like save the environment a little bit. So, that's good that you guys are also aware of that kind of making sure that you're trying to save the environment as much as you can and kind of reduce the impact you're having.
1: Yeah, we try to. We like to do a lot of um, restorative projects on our plot of land if if we have time and the resources available and somebody with the knowledge to do so. We've got a lot of knowledgeable folks up here that work with us. It's great.
2: That's awesome. It sounds like it. So, I mean, what kind of challenges have you had? Kind of being the farm manager and in production manager, so I mean I'm sure no two days are the same you're always having new issues pop up, so what kind of challenges and kind of growth have you experienced from doing all of that?
1: well, the first and foremost
2: I was actually originally hired as a part time ag
1: worker um, I just want to do something part time kind of relax after my stint with the zip line. I was with them for about five years and I rebuilt almost that whole course from the ground up except for the poles so it was definitely it was time for a break for me so when i applied for this job i was not expecting to be the farm manager (laughs) um with that being said the biggest obstacle that i had to overcome and i still feel like i'm still overcoming it and learning from it is the subtropical farming aspect the non-monocrop farming you know like i have to learn the soil science of this whole area because this is a thousand acre farm not no two plots are the same in a sense Um, so the subtropical farming techniques have actually been pretty fun. They haven't been too hard. It's been pretty straightforward. A lot of folks out here have their own different methods of growing chocolate. So I just kind of ask around and they say, this works for me. That works for me. This doesn't work for me. And I kind of do a combination of all. And so far, I think I've figured out a pretty good method and regimen
2: for our trees. Hey, well, there you go. It sounds like they're pretty collaborative. And I mean, sometimes... it's kind of the opposite where everybody is kind of keeping their growing secrets kind of to themselves. So that's great that the environment there is really collaborative. I mean, has that been obviously pretty beneficial to have?
1: Yeah, definitely. I would say there's still some of those aspects of, you know, keeping it to yourself. You don't want to give away everything, but definitely a lot of folks out here are super helpful for me at least whenever I have a question. The cooperative and extension agents have been fantastic for me. They've been such a great resource to me. So I don't mind donating at all. Anytime I can volunteer or do anything for them, I always try and raise my hand. They've been great.
2: That's cool. That's good to hear. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the kind of Hawaii agriculture in a whole? I mean, I know um, you've got multiple islands over there, a lot of traditions going on. So what are kind of the main staples when it comes to Hawaii agriculture besides things like the normal person might assume like pineapples and coffee and chocolate. So what are some other ag commodities out there in Hawaii?
1: So for this island, the big island of Hawaii, one of the big ag commodities is cattle. There's a lot of cattle ranching going on over here. Um, You got some pretty expensive beef patties on your hand. You can buy a $15 burger without any condiments. (laughs) Yeah,
2: Yeah, I've heard the burgers are super expensive.
1: Yeah, it's pretty good beef, though. They definitely do have – we do have some great beef products out here. Um, outside of that, you know, chocolate industry is relatively new. I'd say it's probably only started up in the past 20 years, um, if that. As far as pineapples, that's more so of a tourist attraction. Um, some, some people have small plots here and there. I definitely planted a plot for the tourists to come and check out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We also have coffee, like you said. That's been a really big commodity for us since the sugarcane days actually ended in the mid to early nineties. Sugarcane was a really big commodity for us for a couple. Oh, I would say about a hundred years. Um, you still see a lot of remnants in all these rivers and streams around us of you know piping that would help irrigate the sugar plantation farms that would lead down to the warehouses so you can you know refine the sugars. Um, but coffee was the next big thing for Hawaii as a state in general. Kauai coffee farms has, I think 3000 acres. So they, I mean, if I can fit 1800 trees on two acres, I can't even imagine what they can, what their count is. So coffee has been a big player for us pretty recently too.
2: Yeah. I bet there's so many coffee plants there. I mean, I mean, coffee, I feel like coffee has exploded in the last five, 10 years. I mean, with Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts. And so, I mean, you hear nothing but good things when it comes to Hawaiian um, coffee. So that's pretty good that it's obviously a staple of the ag industry out there.
1: Yeah, we actually, we grow coffee up here as well. I just got my first harvest season done as a coffee farmer. We pulled in about 1,800 pounds off of about one acre, maybe, or a little under an acre. So that was pretty awesome. It tastes really good. I'm not a big coffee drinker. I definitely just stick to the energy drinks, but
0: <laughs>
1: it was sweet. It's got a really nice aroma to it um we We haven't cupped our coffee yet. I'm not sure if you know what that is when
2: you cup coffee. No, what's that?
1: It's um it's like a wine tasting, but for coffee experts, and they kind of rate your coffee tell you what hints and aromas and flavors that are in your coffee specifically.
2: Oh, okay. That's that's cool. Uh, did you have to do anything in particular to to kind of start that coffee production a little bit? Or were you, could you just like, was it as simple as just planting the plants, waiting for them to grow, harvesting them, trying them out?
1: So actually, I took it over from one of the shareholders of the farm. He His name is Curtis. He was running the coffee program up here and just kind of roasting it himself with a third party, bagging it with them. And Not too sure if he was selling it or just giving it away. But just this recent past year, I took over completely from him. He showed me his techniques, and I just took the ball running. And pretty much, he just set me up for success, man. That's really all I can say. He knows a lot. I just kind of refined it a little bit more, and we're good to go now.
2: Hey, well, there you go. That's awesome. Yeah, um, I, I like coffee. It's really good. I try to not drink it a whole lot. I'm kind of more of a tea drinker, but I mean... The Hawaiian coffee that I've had is really, really good. I mean, I'm not a coffee snob or anything, but um, that's awesome. Well, that's cool. You're kind of venturing in the coffee as well. Um, So, you know, I like to ask everybody this question and I'm excited to hear your answer. Um, What do you think about the farmer consumer relationship? Do you think it's improving? Do you think it needs some work? What do you think about that relationship?
1: I definitely think it's improving, especially with um, outlets like this, like your podcast and A lot of um, the newer generations are starting to shop at the farmer's market. They're starting to buy more CSA boxes, you know, subscription-based boxes for food and meats. So I think the consumer at this point is probably the most or close to being the most educated as they can or willing to be, are willing to be, since, you know, they had to grow it themselves back a couple hundred years ago. I definitely think the relationship's getting a little bit closer little bit stronger um it also falls on the farmers too you know um it's kind of like our responsibility to educate them i know i've heard you mention it with i think it was Shay, the onion farmer yeah and i think that's like definitely it falls on the farmers just as much as it does on the consumers to learn and educate each other to teach and educate each other
2: yeah that's true i've seen a lot of kind of ag educators and even just like I guess you could say random influencers that make like TikToks or something. And I don't know if you follow her, but there's a girl on, on Facebook called food science, babe. And, um, she is a great educator with the science and stuff behind food production. And there've been a bunch of like TikToks and random Instagram reels where people are like calling out false information. And then she sends them a video and then they do like, um, They work together on producing videos that the influencer is like, oh, hey, I was wrong. Here's an expert. Um, Here's how I was wrong. So that's, I mean, I think that has been huge. I mean, there's a lot of false information out there, but the fact that people are are fighting that misinformation and getting the right info out there has been huge. And so those those are all really good points you brought up.
1: Yeah, I don't follow her, but I'll definitely check her out after this interview. I've been trying to kind of Increase my following on YouTube a little bit on Instagram. I'm kind of a private person on Instagram, so I definitely don't like to um, overshare anything. But I definitely do like to keep my friends and family informed of what I'm doing on the agricultural side.
2: Hey, well there you go. Yeah, and I'm sure they love following you, see what you got going on. Um, well, Deus, this has been awesome, man. Finally chatting with you, talking about uh, chocolate and even coffee production in Florida and um, Hawaii. Not not Florida. Um uh so Lava Loha you guys seem super cool. If people want to check out the the farm, where can they go to kind of follow you guys and see what you're up to?
1: Um, they can definitely go to the website, lavaloha.com. Um, if they wanted to go to our Instagram, we have an Instagram under lavaloha.hawaii. So that's l-a-v-a-l-o-h a dot hawaii. You can see a bunch of our cool pictures, some of our processing facilities, some of our production pictures and our tour guides in action. Probably catch a couple of pictures of me my wife and my dog. <laughs> um, we also have a Facebook, same thing. Just search Lavaloha Hawaii and you'll, it'll bring you right up.
2: Yeah. I'm checking out your website right now, or I'm sorry, the Instagram page. And there's a lot of really cool pictures, um, kind of behind the scenes look of on coffee production, kind of how you harvest the pods, from the cacao plants and kind of how you roast them. And uh, I think, I think you guys are doing a great job. Um, Well, if I'm ever in Hawaii, I will have to stop by the big Island and check you guys out and do one of those chocolate or one of those tree to chocolate tours because they sound super duper fun. So hopefully COVID will pass soon and I'll head over the head over there one day and kind of check you guys out. That sounds awesome. Just give me a ring, man. Dude, deal. All right. Well, day, so thanks so much for being on, man. We'll talk to you soon. All right, no problem. Thank you.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience, brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts, every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.